you'll find getting into the prophets somewhere around Amos. If you find Amos, you're close. Daniel. Fully consecrated. I'll try to help you fill in the blanks so that I don't frustrate you along the way. Let's get out your blue sheet of paper to start with. Ready? Let's pray. Hallelujah, Jesus. Father, uh, big mission, big stuff, big principles. So, Lord, let time stand still, even back up 10 steps. (laughs) Let us uh, help us, God. We wanted to give you everything we got with worship. We wanted to not hold back. We wanted it to tease us. We wanted it to even torment us to some degree that the flesh didn't like it. But boy, the spirit is so much better off. I pray that you'll bring the dividend, God, of our praise and worship. Lord, let it uh, increase where we'll be more and more uh, like you. Father, I pray for you to help the preacher this morning and help us as we receive your word, truth. Let it come forth uh, loud and clear. We thank you that you'll sensitize our ears to hear that God will grasp with the, our mind. And Lord, it'll, uh, it'll be transforming by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you got your blue sheet? How about read along with me? But we have this treasure in earthen vessels so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not despairing, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. You want to know what your life is for, why you're here? That's it. (laughs) So that the life of Jesus is continually manifested in your flesh. See? He wants you to to bring glory to him. Amen? So here it is in uh, chapter 2. We ended with last week with uh, going a little reverse. I started with Joel chapter 2, 15 to 18. And then it says here in verse 18 was that God went into action to get his land back. He took pity on his people. Aren't you glad that the Lord takes pity on his people? He says uh, in verse uh, 12 of Joel chapter 2, in verse 12, it says, "But, but there's also this, it's not too late, says God, a personal message Come back to me and really mean it. Come back to me and really mean it. Come fasting and weeping. Sorry for your sins. Change your life, not just your clothes. Come back to God, your God. And here's why. God is kind and merciful. He takes a deep breath, puts up with a lot. The most patient God, extravagant in love, always ready to cancel catastrophe. Say catastrophe. Huh? Wow, always ready to cancel catastrophe. Who knows? Maybe he'll do it now. Maybe he'll turn around and show pity. Maybe when all said and done, there'll be blessings full and robust for your God. Wow. 
Blessings full and robust. You know what robust is, right? That's what fat people like to be known as. Instead of fat, we like to be called robust. Robust. Okay? Robust. Go ahead with that Lent video if you're ready for that. Tonight, we'll be starting this. This is part of it. The message is going to be no big deal. That's the message. No big deal. This is what Lent's about. of preparation. Amen? So that's, that's, part of, that's part of consecration, really. All of those elements, that's part of being consecrated, set apart for him. What he does is he comes and, and uh, it's almost like imagine with a, uh, a chisel, because sometimes at this stage of our lives, we've become pretty set. We're, we're all set up. We're, we've been fired, if you will, uh, by the world. And so what happens is, is we're solid stuff now. What, when he began, it was soft and pliable, you know. I mean, he could put some water on and mold us and make us and shape us. And sometimes, if we'll come to him like that, he can renew us in a moment and add some living water, and then he can mold us and make us again. But sometimes, come on, be honest. It's a chisel, isn't it? Justin, you find it's a chisel? It's got to be a chisel. You know why? Because I'm just too stinking stubborn. 
don't, don't put your hands on me and think you're going to smooth away some of that stuff. If it's coming out of here, if it's coming off of here, it's going to be because there's going to be the clanging of a hammer against a chisel. Oh, yeah, and I'll, I'll be whining about it and complaining about it, and I'll be mean and nasty for some, some period of time there. Been with me on that? Yeah. Here it is. Here's why. Because maybe he'll put a stop. He'll cancel catastrophe. Maybe he'll do it even now. Maybe in the end, there'll be blessings full and robust for your God. That's why he does that, you know. So, so here's what happens. The rest of Joel, I'm not going to give you those 11 verses, but it talks about blowing the trumpet in Zion. He talks about calling, calling everything together because he says, he says a trumpet, blow the ram's horn trumpet in Zion. Trumpet the alarm on my holy mountain. Shake the country up. Shake the country up. Shake the country up. Do you get it? It's like, wake up, wake up. There's fire coming, fire in the house. Do you get it? Wake up. Why? There's an alarm to be sounded that says, come on, you're sleeping. You're sleeping. Wake up. Saying this is important. This is urgent. I've got to give you the urgency. You think it's going to last forever, but it will become come crashing down. The end is near. Oh, I don't know when. I'm just telling you better be living your lives knowing that the end could come at any given moment. That's what he's saying to Joel. Any idea when that book was written? Book of Joel. Somebody look it up. You got a study Bible. It says right in the introduction. It says there and tells you roughly the dates when it was, when it was, when it was done. 900, 835, 900 BC, before Christ, okay? BC, so now we add 2,000 years to that, almost 3,000 years ago. 3,000 years ago, he says, hey... Let's see if I can do this or not. I don't know if I can do this. Or not. Takes me a while. Just hang in there. See, when they heard that sound, it's unlike any other sound. You didn't go around. These weren't toys that they sold so everybody could go around. (laughs) This was something that was called to be consecrated. There's a fast. There's a gathering of the armies. This was meant to be. There was a, there's blasts that you can go three octaves or so. There's also that which was just the long there's something that was specific to any call or occasion. I used to hit three. I haven't done it for a while, so now I'm having a hard time hitting one. But And so what it was is a long blast. When you heard that, it was a matter of you would come out. It's like I live on Central Avenue where we hear sirens all the time. You know what? When we first moved there, every siren running to the front door, seeing what's going on, what's happening. Now, people would say, what's that? And I'm like, what? I don't even pay attention to it. I don't even hear it anymore. 
that, that, that sign. This, God wants us to hear. So he says, blow this, that judgment is on the way. The day's almost here. 3,000 years ago, he says, judgment is almost here. A black day, a doomsday, clouds with no silver lining. Like dawn light moving over the mountains, a huge army is coming. There's never been anything like, like it and never will be again. Wildfire burns everything before it. So it talks about the Garden of Eden before and it's left as a wasteland after. Oh, I know, you're thinking it's about locusts. It was then because that was something that comes and strips the land. But even locusts became predictable. Huh? We say there's a hundred year flood. What's that mean? Hundred years means it happens every once in a uh, hundred years. Does that mean to the day, to the year? Not necessarily. It means it's this way. But here's here's the way. It says about the army that God directs. It said, God Himself bellows in thunder as He commands His forces. Look at the size of that army and the strength of those who obey Him. God's judgment day, great and terrible. Who can possibly survive this? Here's what it says in verse 8. I'm backing up from 11 to 8. They don't get in each other's way. Each one knows his job and does it. Undaunted and fearless, unswerving, unstoppable. (laughs) I like that description. I like that to be me. You know, I'd like that to be his church. I'd like it to be a member. If we would be unhindered, we would experience the unprecedented. And because of the unprecedented, we would be undaunted. Wow. Fearless, unswerving, unstoppable. Wow. Isn't that what you want for your life is to be seen in you and God, me and God, just like that. Here's what Deuteronomy says. This uh, Deuteronomy 26, it's verses 16 to 19, sorry. This day, the Lord your God commands you to do these statutes and ordinances. You shall therefore be careful to do them with all your heart and with all your soul. You have today declared the Lord to be your God and that you would walk in his ways and keep his statutes, his commandments and his ordinances and listen to his voice. The Lord has today declared you to be his people, a treasured possession as he promised you and that you should keep all his commandments and that he will set you high above all nations which he has made for praise, fame, and honor that you shall be a consecrated people to the Lord your God as he has spoken. See, he doesn't ask those who are the gutter dwellers. He doesn't ask for the unchurched or the unsaved or the unbeliever to be consecrated. He calls for those of you right there in that verse. The Lord has declared you to be his people, a treasured possession, as he promised you and that you should keep his commandments. So here's the deal. In verse 17, you have today declared the Lord to be your God and that you would walk in his ways and keep his statutes, his commandments, his ordinances, and listen to his voice. You did that when you accepted Jesus. 
That's what you did that day. And now he says, okay, you are set apart. Now I'm calling you into account. You will live according to this pattern, no longer to this pattern. This is what I have for you. This is what I want from you. And when you do it, because you chose me, I have chosen you. I'm telling you, I will position you in a place of glory. I will position you in a place of blessing. I will watch over my word concerning you, says the Lord. Wow. Why? Because you have chosen this day. And because you say you are Christian, now I call you into account to say, then because you've declared this, I make this declaration. You will be his people he has made for praise, fame, and honor, and that you shall be a consecrated people to the Lord your God. And I have spoken. See, God says, because you made a choice for him, he expects you to be consecrated. He expects you to be set apart from anything else. He expects you to flee, to run from that old former manner of life. He doesn't expect you to keep carrying that, that, that garbage around. He wants it to be done, transformed. He's not looking for the old you. He's looking for the new you. He says, behold, all things have passed away. Everything became new in him. Why? Because you chose him. He chose you. He says, I'm going to do this for you. It won't be of your own strength. Look at what this is. I love this verse. How many of you have never read the book of Leviticus? Come on, be honest. You never read the book of Leviticus. Why would you, after all, if Jesus is the ultimate sacrifice? But if you want to know about all kinds of bloods and guts and stuff, watch Braveheart and read Leviticus. Okay, now, don't. Here it is. Leviticus 20, verse 7 and 8. I think we'll have it up on the wall for you. It says, you shall consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am the Lord your God. You shall keep my statutes and practice them. I am the Lord who sanctifies you. Oh, that's a big word. That's a big word. Do you know why? Because what it says is, you shall consecrate yourselves, but I'll sanctify you. You consecrate yourselves, I'll sanctify you. See, it's his work. It's the finished work of the cross. It's the blood of Jesus that's poured out over our lives. That's what what gives us the ability. We don't have it in and of ourselves. We're weak, see? He's strong. What it is, is we can't do it on our own. That's what he says. He knows it ahead of time. The apostle Paul says, he's mindful that I'm but, that I'm but flesh. Say, I'm flesh. That'd be me. Right? That'd be you. You're but flesh. He's mindful. So what he does is he says, you shall consecrate yourselves and be holy for I'm the Lord, your God. Remember, you chose me. You said yes to me. And because you do this, you keep my statutes and you practice them. And I'm the one who's going to sanctify you. Poof. There you go. Poof. See? So God says, here's your part. And here's my part. You can't do your part unless I do my part. But I'm going to do my part. And guess what, folks? Now we're 1979, 1980 years down from the cross. 1980 years since the cross. He's given us everything we need for victory. 
He's already accomplished it. He said he would and he did. And now, guess what? It's up to you and me to walk that out. We've got to be consecrated. We've got to come to the place where we say, okay, this part of my life, this thing which I know is evil, this part which I continue to get tripped up on, this thing that I continue to do, these words that I continue to speak, these attitudes, I've got it. These are the things that are not pleasing to him. He wants me to get over it. He wants me to leave those things, to abandon those things. He doesn't want me expecting that because of his kindness that I can just come in there with all my mess. I keep expecting him to bless my mess. Huh? Here's what he did. He died for your mess. So here's what it is, is we actually come down to, this isn't some heavy cross that he's given to <laughs> He actually, what we get to do is participate in his process. How about that? We get to participate in his process. Because he says, I'm going to sanctify you. I expect you to be holy and consecrated. I expect you to carve those things out of your life. I expect you to turn off the TV. I expect you to change the channel. I expect you to get off that website. I expect you to, I expect you to confess. I expect you to be accountable. I expect you to, whatever it is that he says to us, he says it in his word a whole lot of ways. I know what you're thinking. Well, we're, we're going to get there. What about the blanks? We haven't done one yet. And look at how late it is. Well, get over it. Stop. I like this. Here it is. John chapter 5. John chapter 5, verse 25. He talks about two resurrections. Truly, truly, I say to you. Remember, whenever he says it twice, it's really, really important. It's emphatic. I say to you, an hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. The dead will live. Okay, how's that happen? We know how it happens. Just watch. For just as the Father has life in himself, even so he gave to the Son also to have life in himself. And he gave him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming in which all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and will come forth. Those who did good deeds to the resurrection of life and those who committed the evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. Wow. See, I I just got this week that the new John 3.16 for this generation meaning that that's the verse that everybody's going by, John three sixteen, being in the football stadiums and all that kind of stuff, you know, the end zones, that there's a new one. And, and the new passage, I don't have a reference there, but you'll get it. The, uh, the, the, the new one is, don't judge me. 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 Just because I did something that you don't like, don't judge me. Well... <laughs> You know, hey, you think that way, but I don't think that. That's your interpretation. That's not my interpretation. Don't judge me. Don't judge me. Does anybody ever deal with that? You got something? You're trying to just correct somebody. You're trying to straighten them out because you know that what they're doing is wrong. And don't judge me. Don't judge me. Don't judge me. Wow, serious? I'll tell you the one who judges you. Don't be afraid of me. We said the other day, I say it all the time, folks, that... The passage where, where the church and where, where Christians take, and we don't want to pass judgment. Well, you know, it's not right to judge people. Yes, it is. Do you know why it is? Because there's a standard of right and wrong. And if you live right, it's very clear for you to be able to see what's wrong. Then we're supposed to speak that in truth, in love, not to hammer somebody, not to be judgmental. But we do judge things and we say, no, that's not for me. 
Delaney, I'll bet you've done that before. Smoking, kids are passing around a little cig. Come on, come on, Delaney. You've never done anything bad. Come on, just one, take some, go on. And you're like, no, I judge that to be not good. I'm not doing that thing. Say, can I judge those people that, yes, I can judge that that behavior, that choice is not a good choice. I'm not going to make that decision, that choice. I don't like it. I don't think you should either. Now, am I judgmental for that? No. I'm making a judgment based on truth. It's revealed truth. It's the word of God. See, there's a difference between being judgmental. Judgmental just puts people on the cross all the time. It puts them in prison. It, it, It kills them all the time. See, the judgment that God wants to do when he brings conviction is he wants to judge that behavior and we fall under this heavy conviction that that's so wrong, that it's, it's, not, it's not what he has for us. So what would we tell our kids? We would tell them, God has so much more for you, honey. God wants you to live a, a good life. He doesn't want you having the heartbreak. Honey, I can tell you because I've been there, done that. I know how your heart can be broken. I'm trying to spare you in this. That's why we judge, because we have to set the standard that we know, which is the ordinance, which is the statute, which is a command that God has given us. And we can judge if somebody's following that command or if they're not following it. That doesn't mean wagging your finger in the faces of everybody because you're somehow elevated. No, stop. The principle is still that you should weep over those, those people making those kinds of choices. You should be broken inside of yourself. That's what, that's what Jesus does. He weeps over us. So the idea is, is that judgment is coming. It's important for us. Ready for C. The first C is Christ. Of course it would be. Consecrate. The first C is Christ. Go ahead and write it in there. Christ. The first key to consecration is Christ himself because he's the one who, who does it. John 5, he says this in, in a couple of verses. Um, it was only in verse 19 I've got down. He says, Jesus answered and was saying to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son of Man, the Son can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, these things the Son also does in like manner. Doesn't it re- stand to reason that if, if Jesus is God's Son and he only does what he saw the Father doing, then if we're his Son now through Jesus Christ, that, then we should only do the things we see him doing. You see? That's the part of living like Christ, being like Christ, being Christ's representative, is that the life I live, it's no longer I live for myself, but I live for him who gave himself for me. So now the first element of consecration is to be Christ. Put Christ on. Let it be that Christ is your character. It's, it's, when people look at you, they see Christ. See, when they listen to you, they hear Christ. When you tell them, no, that's not good. Joel and Arlene and I, we watched separately, Joel and I, and then Arlo and I watched a, 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 a video on abortion. Oh, I don't recommend it. Yes, I do. No, I don't. No, I really, yes. Because you know what we do? Is we don't like something like that, and so we remove ourselves from it. But when they talk about certain parts of abortion, in this case, you get to see a little baby laying lifeless there where they took scissors and they clipped the back of the neck. That's what they did. Through the bone, through the, through, the, through the spinal column right here. And you get to see the wound laying open on a little neck. You think, my God, how could we ever come to that kind of place? 
my God, how could we ever come to that kind of place? An abortion doctor in Philadelphia came before the Senate. That's where we saw the video. I'll send you a link if you want to, but I'll tell you what, it just shows how many, how many women died, Joel? Six, there were six, six counts. One of the babies that talks about the, the people played with the baby while the baby was alive, laying on the, laying on, had been birthed, and they actually took the feet, much like you might have with Liam, and played with the baby and the baby responding, and they turned the baby over, terminated the life. Folks, I don't do that for effect. I do it because it's a, it breaks the father's heart. And, and these, a woman who's had eight abortions, and she's weeping now on the camera, and she says, they told me it was okay. They told me of women who have 20 abortions, and they still conceive. And now I've had eight, and I can't conceive. And why didn't somebody tell me that it was wrong, that I shouldn't seek abortion? And I said, because... Who is it who's consecrated? Who is it that's, that's standing in the gap? Who is it that's saying, no, this isn't right, sweetheart. Come live in my house. I'd rather, I'd rather be some surrogate to, to you and to baby than for you to go through this procedure. I know what it's going to do to you in your life. I know it's going to break your heart someday, and it's going to break the Father's heart. You've got to be Christ. In the end of the, the thing, when it talks about uh, six babies who died and two grown women, talked about blood-stained floors and walls and unclean, showed pictures of refrigerators, showed a little picture with a vial with a baby's foot in it. What the hell were you thinking? I can't say that's heaven at all. I want to that. What the hell were you thinking? Doctor, what were you thinking to, to, to carve that baby's foot off and put it in a vial of solution and have on your shelf? What were you thinking? That was 2011. These things were happening. The atrocities were happening from the early 90s. 1993, 2002, 1996, 2002, 2004. Oh, help us, Lord. That's why I don't know about the theology, the theology of it, but, but, you know, it's hard to explain, but, but I sure count that there's a place of grace for these little ones who, who didn't have a choice and they were taken and some kinds they, they were birthed and then they were, they were, they were killed. Psalm 62 says this, the next one is orientation. The next step of consecration, first is Christ, the second is your orientation. It comes from Psalm 62, verses 5 through 8. It says, My soul wait in silence for God only, for my hope is from Him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold I shall not be shaken. On God my salvation and my glory rest, the rock of my strength, my refuge is in God. Trust in Him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before Him, God is a refuge for us. Orientation means fixed hope. You've fixed your hope. I'm looking to God. I'm resting. My soul wait in silence for God. My hope is from Him. Folks, that's what you always got to do, no matter what your life is like, and the good times and the bad, anywhere in between, fix your hope on Him. Orient yourself 
toward heaven. Orient yourself. The old prophets, the old men of faith, what they would do is they would face Jerusalem. That's what they were looking for. Is they, were, they turned their, their face toward Zion. See? So that's what that Psalm 62 is really pretty much orient yourself toward him. The end on the next one is actually a little twisted, but it's okay. It's no guile, G-U-I-L-E, no guile. There's actually the, the, the guy Jesus comes upon in John 1. It's, uh, it's with uh, this guy named Nathaniel. And it says in, in John 1, 45, it says, Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Are you really, is that how you really are? Are you wearing T-shirts and masks? If we, if we dug a little underneath that surface that we put on for a church on Sunday morning, is that who you really are? And that's okay if, if I find you this morning that if we undressed you a little bit, you don't look so pretty. See? But at that point, you turn your heart to God and say, God, yes, I've been dis- discovered. I've been trying to deceive other people. I've been trying to make them think things about me that's not true. See, the spirit of Nathaniel is that Jesus says, an Israelite in whom there's no deceit. That means blameless. Folks, that's the way you and I are supposed to live our lives. So whoever you are, don't be afraid of that. Be afraid if you continue to get away with putting up a front. It's a false front. And there's a day of revelation because God said all the hidden things, that'll be revealed. Man, it comes evident in various ways. Just trust me on that. It's better to just bear your soul right up front. See, it's good to be able to say, hey, you know everything. You know me probably. You guys know me. There's a few of you. How many of you know me really well? Really, really well. Rick and Chris, Ted and Terry, Becky, Joe. Come on, some others. Jack knows me. Yep. Arlene, she really knows me. Some of you know some things about me. How many of you know I've got some, some not-so-wonderful uh, characteristics or traits? Go ahead. I'm not looking. Yeah. Th- that's honest. See? That's honest. And so what happens is, is I realize that. So, God, I, I need this work. I need you to do this work in me. Amen? The next one, the S, is steadfast. I'll tell you, folks, you'll never get anything unless you're steadfast in God. You've got to be steadfast because that's what, that's what he's wanting to produce. That's John 15. John 15 says what? talks about, I am the vine and my father's the vine dresser. And then it says, abide in me, in verse 4 is what I'm talking about. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. So neither can you unless you abide in me. Wow. Do you get it? You can't just exist and hang out and you can't fake it and make it. It just won't work. God didn't intend for you to be able to do it without him. Then I want to skip down to verse 8. Okay, same chapter, 15, verse 8. My father is glorified by this. Isn't that what we exist for? Is to bring him glory. You want to know how you bring him glory? It says right here that you bear much fruit 
and so prove to be my disciples. He expects you to be bringing fruit forward. The only way you're going to ever bring fruit is you got to be steadfast. That means I don't care what the weather looks like. I don't care how hot it is, how cold it is. He's called you to cultivate the ground. He's called you to prepare the ground. He's called you to sow the seed. He's called you to water the seed. He said, I'll bring the growth. You do your part. I'll do my part. You consecrate it. I'll sanctify it. Wow. That's what you got. That's why the burden is easy and light because he he does the hard part. He says, here it is. No, it's not going to be easy. It's going to take everything you got. But that's what I want. I want all your heart. I want all your mind. I want all your strength. I want it all focused right here on this. Be steadfast. What it means is remain in me is what John chapter 15 verse 4 says. Steadfast. The next one is simply, I already gave the scripture away, but it's engaged. Engaged. You got to engage. You can't, somebody said the other night, you can't win if you don't play. Well, you, you can't. You can't be used by him for glory. You can't be part of a testimony unless you do what he told you to do. So you got to be engaged. That means you got to be living like his word. You got to be active. You got to be seeking to be sharp. You've got to be able to study to show yourself approved. See, able to rightly divide the word of truth. You need to be coming to foundations class. Come to me, all you are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Oh, wow. Be engaged. What? Come to him. He says, come. He wants you to come unto him. That's how you engage. You engage God. You know how else you engage? By reading your word. You know how else you engage? Fellowship with one another. You know how else you engage? Oh, I'm sorry, not just any fellowship. Fellowship where you're praying together, where you're talking about God, you're sharing testimony, sharing reflect, that'd be a good one. Our readings. Stay engaged. How about this? The next one is is C, is constant. You got to be constant. Now, that's different than steadfast. You'll see it right here. It's verse 7. It's actually, I think we printed it in your bulletin. Nope. I didn't put it in there. Steadfast is this. Yeah, it's, it's actually the blue we just read. We have this treasure in earthen vessels so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. Say, it's not me, it's him. Yeah, say, it's not me, it's him. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not despairing, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always caring about in the body the dying of Jesus, so the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our body. Wow. I should have had a little clay pot. I could have just went like this. We, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. If he should drop us, If he didn't hold us up, we would just shatter, broken, smithereens, constant, always caring about the death. It says that he must increase and I must decrease. That's the kind of death. He says, if you want to live, you got to die. What kind of death? Take up your cross and follow me, he says. So you got to stay constant. How about this? The R. 
is radical. Got to be radical. Can't keep on with the comfortable. You can't stay in the place where nothing, nothing you know, you're not irritating anybody or you, you, nobody knows you're alive. If you died, they'd say, oh, did he? I don't even know him. I don't know anything about him. You ought to be known. You ought to be known for Christ in you. Every time you criticize someone, I love it, Romans 2, this is first, first verse says, every time you criticize someone, you condemn yourself. It takes one to know one. Judgmental criticism of others is a well-known way of escaping detection in your own crimes and misdemeanors. <laughs> I like that. Don't you? Yeah. You go around everybody else. What are you doing? Trying to deflect. Take, take the emphasis off of you. God's saying, hey, it's you. So here's what happens. It says on verse further down, he says this. In kindness, he takes us firmly by the hand and leads us into a radical life change. You've got to follow Christ, folks. That's how you're going to live a consecrated life. And in verse 7, it says this. Real life for those who work on God's side, but to those who insist on getting their own way and take the path of least resistance, is fire. Blessing for those who do it God's way, but fire for the others. We're on A, which is attitude. Radical, next one is attitude. What is that? Philippians chapter 2 says it, verse 5, specific. It says, how's this for, for direction from the Bible? Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Let me ask you, have you become so obedient to the point of death? Have you really crucified the flesh? That's really what it's going to take. Every element saying, God, I lay it down. If, if you want me to take it back up, it'll be you who raises that up. I'm not going to raise it up myself. See, the attitude which is in Christ Jesus... To be consecrated, you have, that, have to have that attitude that you're willing to die a horrible death at any point in any area of your life. The next one is transforming. T. It says here in 2 Corinthians three fifteen to 18. I'll read it quickly. But to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their heart. But whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. You know what it says? You be consecrated, all sanctify. Ah, here we are in the New Testament. Taking a principle that he said from the beginning, you be consecrated, all sanctify. Wow. Thank you, God. You do that part, see? By His Spirit, that's what it says. Transforming Word. The last one is eternal. In Ecclesiastes chapter 3, many of you know that, that He said everything in time He's appointed for. But in verse 11, He kind of wraps it all up, 11 and uh, through 14. He says this, he has made everything appropriate in its time. 
See, sometimes what you might have got from God isn't a no, it was a not yet. See, sometimes that's what happens is God gives us a not yet because he's got an appointed time for it. Worship team, you can come on back up. He's made everything appropriate in his time. He has also set eternity in their heart. Yet so that man will not find out the work which God has done from the beginning even to the end. That means there's a source of knowledge and understanding that he reserves. He's the revelator and he'll bring that and reveal it in his time, his way. And then in verse 12, it says, I know that there's nothing better for them to rejoice and to do good in one's lifetime. Moreover, that every man who eats and drinks sees good in all his labor. It's a gift of God. I know that everything God does will remain forever. There is nothing to add to it, and there's nothing to take from it. For God has so worked that men should fear him. See, in verse 11, he says, He also has set eternity in their heart. I want to tell you, it's the greatness of God that compels you. It's what he put in you. It's for the very things that you do know, there's other things that you don't know. For the things that you do understand, there are things that you don't understand. God has put eternity in your heart, which means a longing, a longing to understand, a longing to know. That's put there by him. That's the other part of being consecrated, is you tap into that which is eternal, which he put in us, which is a longing for him who is eternal. Amen? Hallelujah. Say, preacher, you're done. Just about. It's not first, second, third closing. This is just it. I want to read you this. This is from uh, Oswald Chambers. Many of you uh, study his, his uh, devotionals, and he's got uh, my utmost for his highest. This is what he says about consecration. Consecration is the narrow, lonely way to overflowing, over-flooding love. We are not called upon to live long on this planet, but we are called upon to be holy at any and every cost. If obedience costs you your life, then pay it. If obedience costs you your life, pay it. If it doesn't cost your life, I would question if it's worth living. Folks, let's end this morning with a little dedication and time. I can't make you be consecrated. I can call you to account. I can say things to you, whoever gives me uh, that access and freedom in your life. I can come to you and say, man, this is really not good. You need to change it. Dude, what are you thinking? Sweetheart, stop it. See, but, but the truth is you have to walk it out. That's what the Bible says, that you have to work out this, your own f- salvation with fear and trembling. You know why? Because you've seen the Lord. Because you know his expectations. I don't want it to be said of any sheep that ever sits under me that, that I'm your shepherd that, that comes to a point where you say, I didn't know. I didn't know that, that this is what abortion is. I didn't know that this is the effect of my sin. I didn't know that I should live consecrated before God. I want you to tell you, he knows that you're not up to the task outside of himself. He knows that you're going to need him. And that's why he gave himself fully, everything he's got. He didn't hold anything back. He said, you know, it's okay because I know Papa, when they're done with me, torturing me and abusing me, when, they, they're, when they're done pulling my beard and spitting on me and beating me within an inch of my, de- of my life, I know that Papa, I'm going to hit that, that grave for just a little while. Oh, it's going to be a bloody mess. I'll leave my mark all over the place. And I'll let them leave their mark on me. But he said, here's the deal. I know Papa. He's going to raise me up. 
I know that it's going to be for the good because when the devil thinks he had his greatest victory, it turns into his worst defeat. It's going to be that now I've restored the people. Papa, I did it for you. Folks, you are, he's the glory and lifter of your head, but you are his delight. Could we stand with that knowing? That's the reason we want to live a consecrated life because we're his delight. Amen? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. and let it be all for you and for your glory take my life and let it be yours take my life and let it be all for you and for your glory take my life and let it be yours take my Take my life and let it be yours. You know what? It's just like that. I'm going to turn my mic off because, see, when I do that, if you just, if you leave and this week you live a con.